Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Edgar Allan Poe Pari. Want to freshen up your bleak existence? Try new Edgar Allan Poe Pari, the avant-garde line of room freshening essence. With new scents like Annabelle Lemon, Rose Gold Bug, and Cherry Pit in the Pendulum, you'll be able to fend off that gothic sense of impending death and you'll smell great doing it. Quoth the Raven, this room smells fantastic. Edgar Allan Poe Pari, patent pending. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight. I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. One fly ball, deep left center. Chris, on the run. Yes, 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 yes. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Good evening, everybody out there. Welcome to the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by Armchair All-Americans in conjunction, as always, with MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the best place to go to place an online wager. We are smack dab in the middle of the NFL playoffs. Get your bets in now, because don't forget, we're going to be smack dab without any major sport here, besides basketball, which doesn't count for almost a month while we get ready for spring training to reload into actual baseball. So go on through. You got the re- the real part of the playoffs are starting up now. Get your lines on mybookie.ag. They've got live in-game betting. They've got prop bets. They've got all sorts of numbers up on there. They've got the best staff. If you have any questions, if you're new to betting online, talk to the customer service staff. They're really helpful. They're really friendly. They'll get you ready to go. And as an added bonus, if you use our promo code BRAVES25, they will match your initial deposit up to 50 percent which means if you donate if you put a hundred dollars down they'll match you with fifty dollars and you'll have a hundred and fifty dollars of money to play with go through there show off how smart you are make a little cash on the side that is my now doc yes yesterday we had one of the how can i put this delicately uh one of the most infuriating moments of the alex anthopolis regime yeah, I um, 
I do not understand. I do not understand why in the world Brian Bridges and Roy Clark were let go. There's uh, good friend, friend of the show, Brian Bridges, getting yeah. released after signing a contract extension. And his track record, certainly um, Brian's over the past couple of drafts and Roy for his entire career, their track records speak for themselves, uh, kind of made the rebuild enjoyable on the minor league side you know what i mean there were every single year draft day was was important to pay attention to because all these different prospects that were going to come flooding in the system and looking looking back at some of these drafts and seeing where soroka and mentor were were filtering in this year and you know you see where ian anderson and kyle muller and joey wentz are from the following draft i mean all of this Fruit is finally, or you know, these seeds are turning into fruit, I guess, and uh, it's it's just weird to see. I know that there's kind of the the narrative that's out there, but I really have to wonder if there's something else or what particularly else happened because you don't just fire Brian Bridges out of nowhere for nothing. No, but I'm going to go ahead and say this: until I know for sure what that reason is, I know Brian more than I know Alex, and I know for a fact that Brian is the best in the business at his job. Take a look at the draft starting from when Brian took over, 2015. Look at the draft since. We can honestly say that the worst player that we've drafted that we've seen to this point, one of the maybe the worst, the biggest disappointment might be Colby Allard. Maybe Drew Harrington, but he was a fourth-round pick, so it's not that big a deal. But Colby Allard might be the only one of those top-round picks that looks like a bust at this point. You can't even really call him a bust yet, although you know my, my take on Colby. But you can't really call him a bust because he's had, what, 12 innings? Yeah, and and just because he, his stuff has kind of backed up a little bit doesn't mean that that won't be corrected or he won't come out next year and wind up being with the best lefty in the system. You know, the odds are long on that, but looking at uh, at what he did in AAA when he was 21 was absolutely fantastic. And not, not there's still a long way to go for him. And at the time, you absolutely make that pick. Braves picked 14th in 2015. Colby was a, a first overall candidate, and he wound up falling to them. That was a fantastic deal. It, it just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially the timing of it is we're really about to hit the draft period. Like it's it's just about to get serious into draft time for front offices. I like most. I think it, you know the the first thought you think of is that it's got to have something to do with Carter Stewart, uh, the number eight pick last year that the Braves did not get signed. That's automatically what you go to, but the Braves win the grievance against Carter Stewart and the MLBPA, which I still have a weird – I don't understand why the MLBPA was able to file a grievance under for Carter Stewart, but minor leaguers aren't generally protected under the MLBPA. Uh, I, I don't get that part. Yeah, same. There, for the amount of money that's coming in, there's got to be a way to, to funnel some of that money to the minor leaguers. But that's what I don't understand. So, like, if he's drafted – He's, you know, he's not technically a minor leaguer to that point, but he's not a major leaguer either. So it's just protecting an amateur at that point, I guess. But then, as soon as he were to be assigned to a minor league club, the MLBPA couldn't file agreements on his behalf. That whole that whole thing has been fishy from the very beginning. I, I don't I don't know that that was just a case of somebody chasing some money around somewhere or trying trying to retroactively pitch a fit about something. That's exactly what it sounded like, especially when you consider you know the, the stories that came around after that. But we don't know the stories as a whole, so I don't want to bash too heavily. Uh, privately, off-air, I might say something different, but 
professionally speaking, we don't know enough about the whole story to really go into it one way or another. One thing I know for certain is that some team is going to be very happy when they sign Brian Bridges and Roy Clark, who reportedly are, are essentially a duo. They always work with each other. Um, for whatever team gets them, they're getting a a mac daddy of a, of a scout, one of the best scouts in the business for sure, and Roy Clark is, is just as respected as Brian. So I doubt, I doubt they'll be out of work long, and wherever they do go, they're going to instantly see their minor league system start to turn around. Yeah, agreed. And having having Brian come on and do an episode with us was um, yeah, I've I've loved every episode that we've done, but that particular one was just awesome. And individual moments, uh, hearing Brian Bridges talk about the two live crew. Uh, if you had told me when I first started paying attention to Braves baseball that that was going to be a conversation I had, I'm not sure I would have believed you, but it actually <laughs> happened. So, um, uh, and and so, just talking to him outside of the show, just you know messaging back and forth with him. He's such a down-to-earth guy with with such a great mind for for picking apart and analyzing players. That's going to be the worst part of this is now all the draft stuff that I've done, useless. Useless now. Well, you know, unless you want to talk to him about somebody who, you know, if he's working for for the Reds or Which, whatever. by the but, way, you know. I'm glad you said the Reds. That was the first team that popped into my mind. I mean, he's like you said, he's not going to be going to be unemployed for too long. And and if I'm a team like the Marlins or the Orioles or somebody that's that is about where the Braves were when Bridges first came on, you bet your ass I'm calling him now. You know, if the Orioles are making wholesale changes and they're really trying to, to build something good up underneath, then that is exactly the type of guy or guys that they need. I don't know Roy, but you know, the other but. thing that you start to wonder is Brian is more of an old school guy. He's a, an eye, an intuition over analytics when he's scouting players. So you wonder if it was maybe a philosophy back and forth with him and Alex. But when we, when we spoke to him, he had nothing but glowing things to say about Alex. Uh, and I, I, you hate to see it go. It's the business obviously. So when you get to, when you get to know people in front offices, that that's, the danger of that happens in baseball so obviously it sucks uh wanted to thank brian for the years of service he put in and making the braves system one of the best in the game uh big shout out to brian you're still my favorite in the business uh look forward to seeing where you end up yeah agreed and still welcome to come back on the show even if we'll be talking about if we become a reds podcast for for you know for one hour or something you know like and go that. work with nick crawl who's trying to turn the reds around whatever but uh big ups on that we do have some free agency stuff that we're going to get into, but before we do, we do have another exciting announcement. There is a second sponsor for the Platinum Sombrero podcast now, and that is Tix Blitz. If you've never heard of Tix Blitz, they are a ticket website. They are one of the best ones to go to. If you go to it through the Armchair Media Network, which is who we are a part of, the Armchair All-Americans, you can use them. You can use our promo code armchair. They're going to give you 5% off of your total ticket purchase. That's a good bit, especially if you start getting good seats. Like, eh, if I'm getting a $5 ticket, 5% is nothing. But you start getting up into the good seats, the 113 section, uh, or maybe even the club level sections. That's a good deal right there just for using our promo code armchair. If you go, unlike the other ticket providers that sneak in for extra fees and all that, there are no extra fees for tick splits. The price that you see, that's what they say. So, like, if you go on. Let's just say Ticketmaster, uh, and I'm going to say this because I used it to get into the playoff game. Uh, when you go out there and you see the ticket is $120, so you click on the ticket, all of a sudden it's $200. 
you look down and it's ticket fee charges, you don't get that with tick splits. So just make sure you go there. Whatever you see, that's what you're going to pay. It makes it a lot more honest, a lot more easy to use. Again, use our promo code armchair and you're going to get 5% off your ticket package. So if you've got a family of four, that's essentially getting 20% off. Can't beat that. Now, there's been a, a little bit of a rash of signings lately. It gives us something to talk about. Um, unfortunately, none of the signings have been for Atlanta, but there's some news on that front. So we'll get to that in a second. First things first, Yasmani Grandal signs a one-year deal with the Brewers for a little north of 18. So he signed for a one-year deal for more than the qualifying offer, but reportedly he had already turned down a four-year $60 million deal from the Mets. What do you make of that deal? I think it's very interesting that he wound up taking the qualifying offer deal from another team. Um, More than the qualifying I, offer. Oh yeah, he he got himself an extra three hundred and twenty-five grand or so. <laughs> um, I I do think that um, next year will be interesting because Cervelli is going to be his biggest competition in the at the catcher position going into the market next year, but he won't have a qualifying offer attached, so that could. That could bode well for him. But my first thought when I saw that was, holy crap, that lineup. Because that was the biggest that was the biggest hole that they had. You know what I mean? No offense well, not a yeah, not a, no offense to Eric Kratz or Manny Pena, but I mean, you know, Monty Grandall is that is a legit bat to put in there. Not just a legit bat. Yasmani Grandall is like the number two defensive catcher in baseball. Yeah. And and Milwaukee doesn't have like a super ace, you know. They've they've got quality pitching, but their they don't have anybody sucks. who's Let's like. Let's be frank, their starters suck. Ulysses Chassin was their best starter last year. But having a guy like Grandal, who is very well versed in framing, that is the exactly that is an awesome move for the Brewers, man. I just I, they could win a hundred this year, and they're you know, just they, their power all deep in that lineup. It's good to see a team go for it like that. And I think that this is kind of a go for it move. The Brewers saw what they could do last year. If everything was working, they know they got to get more out of their starting pitching. They can't just rely just on the bullpen. So you look what they do. They they figured out where to trim the fat. They didn't bring back Jonathan Scope. So they bring in a switch hitting power catcher who is dynamite defensively and analytically. You know, Everybody's going to point to the pass balls in the playoffs on Yasmani Grandal. And you and I mentioned this during the playoffs. Why on earth you would let eight games – ruin like an entire season's worth of data is beyond me and it's just so stupid to me the bigger point of all this are the qos are the qualifying offers ruining free agency everybody talks about how the free agency is falling apart because teams don't want to give out big deals i kind of think the qualifying offer is a bigger deal than the actual money i think so teams are really really i mean teams have always relied on the draft but i mean now especially with for how in-depth teams are getting with certain things. I mean, you look at not just sacrificing the pick, but sacrificing the associated money that comes with it. It hamstrings your ability to, to get creative. Uh, yeah, I, I think that when you get out of the tier of, you know, Bryce and Manny, those guys are going to sign. Patrick Corbin was going to sign, you know. So that that's just part of – it's like an extension of the contract. But once you get into this type of tier, then, yeah, I think it's absolutely damaging. And – Truthfully, if I'm Grandall, I probably might be thinking, well, I should have taken that deal from the Mets, you know, because if something if something happens this year, they, they had offered him four years and 60 million and he wound up coming coming in way less than that higher, higher average annual value. But um, he bet that on was himself. like his one like his one big offer. I mean, he bets on himself. So if he has the same year that he had a year ago with no QO attached, 
I have no doubt that he'll that he'll get the deal that he was looking for this offseason. I mean, that's the only thing I can figure when you looked at the year that Grandall had. You look at Grandall, really the only other catcher in his tier is JT Real Muto. And everybody is all hot and heavy for JT Real Muto, thinking that it takes two big-time prospects to gather him. I mean, we know that the Braves were talking about Austin Riley and Mike Soroka at the midseason deadline for JT Real Muto. Grandall was no was not really any worse if you look at war. And then if you take the all-around catcher statistics, Grandall was a better catcher. Far better defensively than Real Muto. So what do you think this does for Real Muto's market? That's the big question, Mark. If you're now I, I don't think that teams were looking to pay anything close to that price for JT now. The biggest difference is JT is younger and he has two years of control. But it makes you wonder if teams are, are if teams that are more the old school mindset that haven't transitioned to this new wave of thinking, if they're gonna struggle to move people before their free agent years if they're still just shooting for the moon like it was an old system. I don't think and I don't personally I'm not a big fan of bringing in Real Muto anyway. I know he's a really good offensive catcher. Uh, I do think he's a little overrated. I think that a lot of his offensive production like his walk rate and things like that, they were more that was more of a big fish in a small pond so to speak. So everybody just pitched around him in that lineup. I don't think he has that type of walk rate on another team. Uh, you can argue that his power might go up outside of Miami, and it, it very well might. Um, but I, I've never been a huge Real Muto guy. He's really athletic, but if you move him out into the outfield, say, and I've, I've seen a few people saying move him to left field, if you move him away from the catcher spot, you're essentially taking away his value because his value is contingent on the fact that he is the best offensive catcher. So if you move him to the, the corner outfield slot, he, it, it, it's not a bad offense there, but I don't even know that I'd rank him a top 20 corner outfielder offensively. No, I mean, out there, then that he just kind of becomes another guy. And when you take into account the fact that he's never played in the outfield before, then you're going to have the learning curve on that as well. Um, I'm, I am very curious to know, I mean, how many suitors are really left? I mean, the Braves are in. Apparently, the Yankees are out. According to Craig Mish, uh, the, there's a very tense relationship between the Dodgers and the Marlins. So when you have certain guys saying that the Darla, the Marlins, the Dodgers <laughs> are going to have the most urgency, well, maybe so, but they have a lot they have a lot to get through that isn't even baseball related, apparently. Not to mention, they've got Kybert Ruiz, who is one of my favorite catching prospects that I've ever seen. Yeah, and and the the timing of that would kind of work out similar to how it would if Atlanta were to go get him with Contreras. They're probably on somewhat similar tracks, uh, Ruiz and and Contreras are. But I don't know. Every single day that goes by, the the likelihood gets it just comes down a little bit. And I wonder if the arbitration deadline might have something to do with that. If teams are looking for cost certainty, because now I mean that's tomorrow. You know what I mean? You want to. You don't want to trade for somebody who is projected to make six and all of a sudden is going to be standing on the table, banging the drum, saying, I want $10 million, and then immediately you've got some type of contentious relationship. Wouldn't it be fantastic if a real Muso and Miami deal wound up having to go to an actual hearing? It would be interesting. Uh, I don't want to get too bogged down on Real Muto. We'll probably talk about him some more next week without giving yeah, too much fair. away. Without that's giving fair. too much away, uh, there's a few more signings to get through. Jed Lowry signs with the Mets. Was that two years and twenty million? Yeah. Two years, twenty million. Yeah, that's you know. 
$10 million for the year that Jed Lowry had. That's a good year. My only worry about Jed Lowry is he's not going to put up the 20-odd home runs again. That's not normally been his game. Last year was kind of an aberration. Uh, last year for the Oakland A's in general was an aberration. Uh, and that that was – it it, it it almost causes more questions than it does answers. Like They've got a lot of guys that I really like this year. I think that they've added a lot of good talent for this season. I still don't think Brody has any idea – what he's doing as far as planning ahead because now you've got Robinson Cano, Todd Frazier, Jeff McNeil, Ahmed Rosario, uh, Peter Alonzo at some point this year, and now Jed Lowry thrown into the infield mix. How, where, where are you going to find all these spots? You just got Keon Broxton. You have Michael Conforto, Brandon Nimmo, and you're getting Juan Lagares back. What are you going to, where are you going to do? What are you going to do with these guys? You know, maybe they're planning on having Lowry move around, be a Camargo-esque super sub, maybe. I mean, some days you could plug Frazier in at first. If you had to, you could put Cano over there. But as far as actually having one-for-one matches between guys in positions, it's just going to be everybody playing at 80% of their capabilities because now it's going to be like Philadelphia was last year. And we saw what that did. That caused a lot of fracture with the team. It caused a lot of annoyance with the players. And at some points, you just get so confused that nobody really gets a chance to settle in. Now, that being said, if everybody stays healthy for the Mets this year, which they won't because it's the Mets, but if everybody were to stay healthy, that's a dangerous team for 2019. Yeah. I mean, they were. They had one month where I think they went 5-25 and 25 last year. Yeah. and. Um, you know, they everybody was pointing and laughing and posting the stop, stop, he's already dead. Uh, but outside of that, they were pretty good. DeGrom, I mean, obviously was, was unbelievable. Um, if they can stay healthy, and like you said, they're not going to because it's the Mets, but I mean, that, that is a dangerous lineup. Regard, if you, you know, you put Jed Lowry in, in the outfield, he might screw something up for you out there, but he, he is an offensive threat. Todd Frazier, he can still go deep. Robinson Cano, dirty, rotten cheater, and he's getting old. But I can say that because I'm the same age as him. But, uh, but you know, he can he can still mash. So, I don't know. The Mets are intriguing, and, and I, think that, I think there's still going to be more to be done with them. I hate the Mets, but they are worth paying attention to. And it, and it really comes down to health. You talk about Cespedes isn't coming back till midseason. That's going to be a real tell where the Mets are come midseason. That will kind of let you know what kind of mode they need to be in. Again, I think Brody is kind of a joke at this point. I think he just sees who other people are in on, and then he just goes in on those people. Like, I've never seen – this Jed Lowry move is the first time that I've seen the Mets, like, be the first team in on somebody. Hold on. Didn't they just trade for J.D. Davis as well? Yes, they did. J.D. Davis is a third baseman. Or first baseman since he can't really move at third base. So now you got six guys trying to fill four positions. Yep. And they traded Luis Santana for him, who was like an actual prospect. Yeah, it, it's it's hard to – I don't know what's going on. They just kind of look around at who other people are looking at, and then they go for them. So we'll see how they go. But one team that is definitely, definitely being overlooked by a lot of people in Braves country right now is the Washington Nationals, who just made a killer signing of their own, getting Brian Dozier on a one-year $9 million contract. That is outstanding. Yeah, he he struggled last year down the stretch, especially after he wound up going to L.A. But, man, <laughs> we like to joke about, you know, Washington has never never won a playoff series. We don't joke about it because it's the truth. Uh, but even if they don't have Bryce Harper, man, Washington. <laughs> Juan you know, Soto, Victor Robles, even if I'm not immensely high on him, Adam Eaton back healthy, Anthony Rendon, who might be the third best 
third baseman in all of baseball, maybe fourth, depending on where you put him with Chris Bryant. Uh, Trey Turner, who he exists to hurt the Braves. Like that's David Wright's retiring and Trey Turner's like taking his crown of being the Braves killer. Uh, you add in a, a Brian Dozier who's what two years removed from forty two bombs at second base. Mm-hmm. And uh, Zimmerman, Ryan Zimmerman, who somehow, some way, like he can't move at all, but when he plays Atlanta, all of a sudden he's back to being twenty seven years old. Yeah, he he's not incredibly mobile, but he he can still hit. You know, his biggest problem was was the uh, I don't know if he had the yips or dead arm. He got, but, you he know, got the he, yips hard, where he couldn't throw from third base to first because coming in out of Virginia, he was an amazing uh, defender at third base, a, a real a true Scott Rowland comparison type of player, and then randomly got the Chuck Knobloch yips and just couldn't throw the ball anymore. Yeah, and I mean he was airmailing big time. It was like okay, some something's. It was like with Rick and Keel a couple years ago, where it's like this isn't even like it happens once, and you're like okay, that's kind of funny. It was but happening like happening every over game. And over. Like it was happening like every game, and it was yeah. hard to see from a guy that outside of just the fact that he's a national, so I don't like him very much. But a guy that I respected a lot, I watched a lot of him when he was in college. Saw a few of his games when they would play Georgia Tech. Uh, so they got that. They bring in Yon Gomes, which is. Again, outstanding. Replacing Weeders with Jan Gomes is a huge upgrade. Jan Gomes isn't going to hit, you know, he's not going to hit 300, but he does have good power, and he's an outstanding defensive catcher who's really going to help that pitching staff as if that pitching staff needs a lot of help. You know, that <laughs> bringing back Scherzer and Strasburg as usual. They've got some young guys filling in the mold there as well. Washington. Don't forget, they also added Kurt Suzuki. They did add Kurt, which I'm going to hate seeing yeah. him in a, in a Washington uniform. Yeah, same. And but, uh, I, I, that pitching staff is like how – what does it say about your team when you can lose Bryce Harper and you might be better? It's just such, it's such an anomaly because people are looking at what it was last year. Oh, well, they weren't good at all. And you can point to you know locker room presence. And I actually think that, that chemistry had a big thing to do with that. I think they got down early and it kind of tanked the rest of their season. I think that their attitude kind of did help a lot on that front, but it was kind of a bad luck season. You're not going to have a team that talented perform that badly again, and that's why we we mentioned last week where I think the Braves can be a better team overall and still have and not replicate last year's win totals because I don't think you're going to get that perfect storm like you got last year where the Mets were a laughing stock, the Marlins were a laughing stock. The Nationals were absolutely putrid and couldn't get out of their own way, and the Phillies couldn't decide from one month to the next whether they were going to keep their horrible manager or not. And the Phillies, you talk about the Phillies, they've done some really, really good things this year. More, even if they hadn't gotten Gene Segura, they would have had a good offseason just by getting rid of Carlos Santana because that allowed Hoskins to move back to first base, and it makes them better by subtraction. Well, you add in Gene Segura, so now Scott Kingery doesn't have to play uh, shortstop, which he never should have been in the first place. He's a second baseman. He's got no arm strength. But they still have Cesar Hernandez, who apparently they've been trying to move, and nobody's really nobody's really gone in on him, which is kind of strange to me. I like Cesar Hernandez, but whatever. You bring in Gene Segura, who's an outstanding hitter. Not a great defender, but certainly better than anybody they had at that point. Still have as Drupal Cabrera as well. That that Phillies team is a team to to really watch out for as well. Every move, it seems like every single move, you know, Lowry is is NL East, Dozier is NL East. I mean, just every time you turn around, there's 
somebody doing something in this division. It, it's going to be it's going to be a bloodbath. I mean, the Marlins. I, I'm serious. The Marlins might not win 50 this year. They are going to get beat up big time. And and this is not to hate on the Marlins because I, I understand what we're. I mean, we all just had a front row seat to a team that was doing the same thing that they're doing, but. These four teams, like it could come down to the last week where all four teams are still in it. I mean, there there could yeah, I'm not saying that's gonna happen, but there's the possibility. Like you were looking at four really, really good teams. So poor Florida, man, they they are gonna wind up getting beat up big time. But when you're in a rebuild, that's kind of the point. They they and the Orioles are gonna wind up competing for the number one pick um annually for the next couple of years, I have a feeling. You talk about that, but in the, the more moves that get made in division, the more you notice that the Braves aren't making any moves. And Alex Anthopoulos was on 680 The Fan with uh, Nick and Chris, and he you know, did a, a nice little sit-down segment with them talking about the, the Braves are still in and still talking to a lot of people and kind of seeing where things go. We mentioned that they won the uh, the grievance file with Carter Stewart, so they do get to keep the number nine overall pick, which is big time, big time, because you can say maybe that's a reason why they weren't in on anybody with any qualifying offers. And it comes down the wire today. I didn't see who had it, but it comes down the wire to uh, Buster Olney maybe, that the Braves yeah. might be in on A.J. Pollock, which uh, – <sighs> <laughs> I'm not a fan at all. Uh, I've mentioned this before. Pollock, like if Pollock weren't going to get, like if he weren't expecting big money, if you if you were going to tell me that AJ Pollock gets a Nick Markakis deal, I'm fine with it at that point because I don't think AJ Pollock is an outstanding player at all. He's essentially a two and a half WAR player. Not bad, not great, but he had that one season where he dropped a seven war on everybody. And that got people thinking that he's like one of these all around greatest play all around best outfielders in the game, but he's never replicated that. If I proposed to you uh, a three year, $53 million deal with a $19 million option for the fourth year, would you take that? That's $18 million a year for a guy that I'm not convinced is going to play more than 115 games. When you're signing a deal with – because essentially that three for 53, that is just a hair over what McCutcheon got. Now, McCutcheon, has a, he does have a longer track record, and he, he is more durable. Um, but I think that what you're seeing out of Pollock now, like that – you've seen his upside. You know, McCutcheon – is a couple years older, you know what I mean? He's not, uh, and maybe he's maybe he's one year older, but he's he's dropping off as we go. And with Pollock, he can still do it when he's healthy, you know what I mean? He's not a perfect player, and that and that's that's kind of the thing about all these guys that are left. You have Nick Markakis, who we know well, we know AJ Pollock as well. But then after that, you know, if you're looking at your Carlos Gonzalez, you're you're looking at Adam Jones. Or you're looking at, at making some really splashy trade that's going to wind up costing you a bunch of prospects. You can get into the surplus value of it if you want. But, I mean, cost, no matter how you distribute it, is still, you know, you're going to have to give up something. And out of all of these imperfect guys, Pollock, I think, is the one that's going to give you the most value out of any type of deal you're going to get. I want a McCutcheon for the durability. But since he's gone, then I think Pollock might be the best option. It's not just the money with Pollock, though, too. You're giving up a second-round pick as well. And that is that is fair. But like you said, with the fact that they, they've got the, the two picks 
um, in the first round this year. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if that whole thing was even by design, where they say, you know, there might be something with this kid's wrist. We're going to take him anyway. Best case scenario, he's fine, and we sign him. Worst case scenario, he's not. We don't, and we get a pick next year, which kind of insulates you from having to sacrifice a pick. Now, ideally, you know, if when you get around to shifting the bonus pools, you get that extra pick, but you subtract one. But since the first one is the extra, you get like an extra million dollars worth of pool money or something like that. You know, you can make a case to where that looks like a good idea, even from a distance, whether you know you're spending that, that pick on AJ Pollock or on somebody else. Cause they were doing this long before the qualifying offers got, uh, got issued. You can still make a case where you say, maybe, maybe this will help us land a, a bigger free agent and not even have to worry about sacrificing that pick. And like you said, how weird is it that they, they just found out today that the, uh, that they've got that other pick. And now it's like, Oh yeah, we're going to this guy with the qualifying offer. Of course we are. It's just, you know, I, maybe it's just me, but I don't have any faith. Like if you could guarantee me that Pollock's going to play 130 to 140 games, then sure. I'm okay with that. Obviously. I think anybody would be at that point, but I'm, and you can talk about, oh, they're not they're not consistent injuries. Some guys just can't take it. And Pollock is a guy like people talk about Michael Brantley being injury prone. Pollock is more injury prone than Michael Brantley. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. They've they've and that that's another one where we get back to talking about the imperfect options in the outfield. I would know? just I would just say that I'd be I would still be looking the trade route before going into giving up higher money and a draft pick for AJ Pollock. No draft pick attached, then sure, one to two years, I'm not I'm not completely against it. For as bad as I think it would be to have to start Adam Duvall, and as bad a look as it would be to have to start Adam Duvall, he makes a good insurance policy. He's a good fourth outfielder, not a good third outfielder. Um if there weren't the the qualifying offer attached, I'd be more okay with the Pollock thing. I just don't really want to give up a second round pick at a time where you can't really do any international signings because I do think every pick is important. And if you're going to give one up for a player, it needs to be a player that you can at least count on. I'd almost be more inclined to bring back Marcakis on a one year, but I, I I don't want to do it that either. I would much rather see it go through the trade route. I know nobody wants to see the prospects go, but I'd be much more inclined to trade some of these prospects and to get in a corner outfielder. Well, it, it, what you're what you're talking about every pick counts. You are absolutely right about that. But if if we're looking at the the long term outlook of the system, then um, it's going to get bleak no matter what. You know what I mean? With because when the when the Braves get to the you know the sustaining the winning ways, like the ninth pick this year is a bonus. Twenty one is where where we land really. You know as far as record goes, and ideally that's going to keep pushing farther and farther back to where we're picking in the late twenties every year smaller bonus pools and you couple that with the with the no international prospects then things are going to get real bleak on the farm for a while but if you're sustaining a team that is, that is winning um you know then then you can absorb some of that and it's okay you've got you've got Ozzy plugged in at second long term you don't technically need a, a second base prospect and ideally you know the same thing with with Acuña and with with Riley if he winds up taking over for Donaldson after after next year so hopefully it won't be that big of a deal but sometimes these are these are the moves that you have to make i mean i i am all for for calm smart calculated moves but at a certain point 
you got to stop dipping your toe in the water and just jump in. That I think that's the hardest part, that point where you do say, all right, we're going all in now. Like every, We've been making cautious moves. And, you know, oh, cautious moves. You gave $23 million to Josh Donaldson. Yeah, but it's a one-year thing. So there's no real lasting – there's no lasting imprint on that move. At some point, you do have to go balls to the wall and just say, all right, we're going for it, whether that be, you know, Bryce Harper – quote, uh, which you would love to see, which after hearing Alex on 680 The Fan, I don't think he's counting on Bryce because I think he's already made his best offer. And I think Philadelphia is going to make a much better offer this weekend to Bryce. Um, I think that they'll. I think that Philly is kind of in danger of missing out on the big offseason they were hoping for. So I think that, they, that they're going to offer a little bit more than they maybe want to because – Scott Boris, let it never be said that Boris is not a stubborn jackass because he is still dead set on 10 years as if he hasn't figured out yet that shorter years with higher average annual value means two contracts instead of one. I I, I don't know why it's so hard for him to get that, but that being said, I'll be shocked if Philadelphia doesn't offer him something like $32 million a year over nine or ten years. Yeah, and the the money factor, the Scott Boris factor, it really can't be ignored. And that's a shame because, I mean, obviously we all want the Braves to spend all the money and bring in all the superstars and all that. But as it pertains to a guy like Bryce, there's been this notion about him for the longest time. He's just going to chase the money. That's all That's all he's going to do. And look, if I had an opportunity to make $400 million, I'm holding out till the last possible second. You know, I'm not pulling that parachute on that until I'm like inches from the ground. But He's got an opportunity here. Like, if he were to sign with with a team like the Braves, or truthfully, you know who should sign him is the freaking Rays. That's that's what the Rays should do with with some of the money that they got left over. But um, if he goes and he signs with Philadelphia and he chases the money, then everybody just say, "Oh, I told you so." All all he cares about is money. He doesn't care about the winning. But if you come to a team that is set up for the long term, I mean, Atlanta truthfully is the perfect destination for him because now you can look at it and say. If he goes to a place like that, he took less money because he felt like he had a chance to win. You know what I mean? And this isn't like the NBA. It's not the same as like having Steph Curry and Kevin Kevin Durant and everybody else who's on the Warriors all in the same place. But like this, this is the closest he's going to get to a team that is just absolutely packed to the gills with talent. Philly can offer you more money. Atlanta can offer a much better chance to win. But I've already said too much because you guys know that I want Bryce Harper to come here. So. I just I don't know that I that I agree with you by saying that Philadelphia would just be a money move as much as like their farm system is not the Braves farm system. Obviously. Uh they still have some good pieces down there like Sixo Sanchez uh, and Adonis Medina. They've got a couple good pieces and they've got a lot of young guys on the roster right now. If you were to add Bryce Harper to Philadelphia's current roster as it sits right now, they'd be your favorite in the National League. They have a really good pitcher in Aaron Nola, an elite pitcher in Nola. They still have a good, kind of good pitcher uh, in Arietta. Pavetta took a big step forward last year. Vince Velasquez is still kind of hard to figure out. But they've got Eflin is, is a good and growing pitcher. They've got some pieces there with a good young bullpen. And they just added David Robertson as well. That would, I think that adding Harper would make Philadelphia a legitimate team. I don't think it would make them any better or worse than the Washington teams he was on. But it wouldn't be like he was going to the White Sox, like Manny Machado is the rumor. But you know, that being said, I would love to see him as a Brave. I just I'm not going to count that until it happens. Um, as it sits now, aside from Bryce Harper, I'm not really enthralled with any of the outfield free agents at all. 
Uh, I think they've all got their warts. I don't think any of them are, are really worth a whole lot as far as the outfielders go. So we'll see where it goes. I'm still maintaining that the trade target is, is the way that you need to go. Maybe we'll get a clearer picture. Like you said, our arbitration hearings are tomorrow. So we'll find out what all the guys are making. Uh, MLBTradeRumors.com, they've got their projections for what people are going to make. And Doc has been kind enough to put them on our on our show sheet for today. Kevin Gosman uh, looking to get to nine point two million. Do you still think? Do you think that's a deal, or or does that start to be almost a little too much money for what he is? I th- I think that's probably about right. You know, too much more than that with the performance that he's had over the past few years, and you start to scratch your head because then you're entering the back end of Julio's contract type territory where you're you're still paying. Um, a de- decent amount you know you're you're almost to to eight figures now as it is for for a guy who was great like when Gossman first came over he was excellent but then he kind of backed up a little bit so um if he winds up getting nine million dollars next year I, I hope that he looks more like early august kevin Gossman than september kevin Gossman. Fulty projected to get 5.5 that would be an absolute steal especially if he continues the steps that he took last year uh as, as it stands with Rick Kranitz being the pitching coach, I'm really excited to see because if that starts to take the walks down, then I'm much more inclined to say that Gosman could be worth that 9.2. Um, Arotis at 4.8. That's an interesting one to me. I love Arotis. I, I, like I've said, I think he's better than Minter overall. I think he's a little bit more reliable than Minter. Um, but there, <laughs> you're starting to enter a territory where Arotis has been hurt for parts of the last three seasons. Yeah, it, it's uh, he missed a lot of time last year, and he he's always we've got we've seen it with him so many times. It's like he can't function until he's got two guys on base, you know. The, and watching the end of the the NLDS game, the Braves won, where he wound up, you know, it was like eleven straight balls or something like that to start start the inning. Like, oh my god, five million dollars for a guy who gets his results is fine, but his process needs work, dude. It's it's hard, and I think. I think he's going to struggle to get $5 million. I would agree there. That's, that's an awful lot for, for what he gave you last year, especially coming off the injury. He wasn't worth a whole lot. I think he was worth like 0. .4, 0. .6 war. Um, Adam Duvall, $3.1 million. Duvall is going to be tricky because he was fine with the Reds, not good, not horrible. He was horrible with the Braves. And I think three mil is going to be a lot of uh, kind of a high ask. Yeah, I don't. I don't see him having a lot of leverage. But then again, three million dollars for somebody who can still come and hit you thirty bombs, even if he's only hitting two hundred while he's doing it. I mean, three million dollars. That's probably. You're right. It is tricky, but I, I could. I could see that being being about right. Two and a half, three million for him. Pretty close. I just think it's going to be tricky in that area when you consider they're going to look at what you did as a brave, and they're going to look at how you did as the year progressed. And he was. I don't remember a single hit he got as a brave. He had four. I don't. I know that one of them was a double. We were all real proud of him when that happened. <laughs> Dan Winkler at one point six million. Um, I feel that's about right. Now Winkler wore down hard at the end of the season a year ago. He's one of those guys that I don't know that I would have carried on the play on the postseason roster because he looked so bad in the last month, where his fastball had dropped from the ninety two that it sits at to about eighty seven, eighty eight, and he was just gas. It was the first full season he's thrown. Um, but 1.6, I think that feels about right. You feel better the second pro year of, of Winkler. He made it through the season finally without really getting any injuries. 
So it should be a good step forward from him. And I think that Winkler should be a good piece in the bullpen. I'll agree. I think that having having him and Jesse Biddle and maybe Shane Carl, because each of the three of them had their just a flash absolutely brilliant at times last year. But when September came around, that bullpen was trash. And uh, it was it was first full season for all of those guys. So I, th- I think that having healthy versions of them that w- could kind of explain why even for the guys like the Kelvin Herrera's and the Joe Kelly's that are making eight, nine million a year as relievers, uh, why the Braves are staying away from them because they can get comparable production for the sixth of the cost. Well, Kelvin Herrera is one that we didn't mention. I thought that was a great move by the White Sox. If Kelvin Herrera is healthy, he's one of the he was one of the elite closers in the game. If he's healthy mm-hmm. with Chicago, that's a fantastic move. Yeah, and if they wind up getting Manny, then they could. Uh, I don't think that they're quite to that point yet, unless they're they're going to go ahead and you know call up fast Eloy, track. call up Luis Re- Robert, call up Michael Kopech, Reynaldo D- Lopez, Dylan Cease. Dylan Cease, yeah, everybody, just say hey, all of our top ten prospects are all major leaguers now. Right. So I mean, and there there's a possibility. I mean. White Sox are going to be dominating that division in like two years. But until then, if they go to the trade deadline and they're 12 games out of first place, then Herrera is a very valuable chip. Especially in that contract. That was a really good contract. Was it two years, mm-hmm. $18 million? Mm-hmm. Nine million a year for a guy that was an elite closer. That's a really good deal there. Uh, Johnny Venter is projected at $1.5 million. Uh, same as Sam Freeman. I'd much rather give Johnny $1.5 million. Well, Johnny, uh, Johnny settled. Uh, he he got he got his two point two five million. Um, so he's he's locked in. And as I long hope, as Johnny's on the team, I'm fine. Yeah, same. I, I I don't really care about a whole lot of the other. As long as we have talented bodies filling filling up the bullpen, I don't necessarily care who they are. But Venters is there's nobody easier to pull for. Venters is a guy ball. that like. I know what he's worth, and I know what he's not worth, but I just want Johnny on on the roster so badly. Like he might be the one player. Like we all love Ronald Acuna, Johnny Venters might be the the easiest player to pull for in all of Major League Baseball. I mean, how could you not? He's everything about his story. You tell anybody his story, it's like, oh wow, yeah, or, okay. Like <laughs> a doctor who's paid to perform surgery said, "No, I'm sorry, I can't do this surgery." Yeah, he's he's just the the fact that he made it back. You know, you look you look at his stat line, and there's a five year gap. It's it's just amazing. It's not like he went to go play in Japan. And it's not just there's that he a, made it back. He actually was better for the Braves than he was for the Rays, which is awesome. Because he yeah. came back, you, he came over, and you're like, all right, he's just going to be a mop up guy, whatever. I'm just glad he's back. He was a lot more than a mop up guy. Johnny gave you legitimate back end help at the end of the game. Whether you know he should be used as a lefty only guy, he showed that he could get righties out too. And his sinker has just as much bite as it did from that first time that you saw it. It's just a joy to watch. And you kind of have to know that that there's a possibility at any moment that that things could go sour for him. You Bite know, your like tongue. He- Don't even put that into the atmosphere. <laughs> Point being. If it's anything is going to happen, then it makes sense that he would be in a Braves uniform when it happens. He belongs here. You know he, what I mean? He, He's one of those he is guys. one of us. He is a Brave. Yes. He will yes. go down as a Brave no matter how the rest of his career ends up. He will always be remembered as a Brave and as a member of one of the most lethal back-end trios of all time. Yeah, back when uh, O'Flaherty, Ventures, and Kimbrell, that was that was it. That was, that was so amazing to watch. Like You could turn the game off after the sixth. Yeah, and just, it was over. Yeah. 
Like, now, Sam Freeman at one and a half million, I'm not as happy about. I don't want Sam Freeman on my team, period. Uh, I know that he did a lot better when he came back up at the very end of the year. I don't care. I don't trust Sam Freeman, uh, and I don't trust that Brian Snicker could not go to Sam Freeman in a crucial situation. I think that when the time comes to start making making cuts in the bullpen towards the end of spring training, uh, Sam Freeman and Luke Jackson, I, I don't think they're going to make it, guys. If that's going to happen, then they just, like if Sam Freeman were going to get cut, he would have to not be on the roster because Snicker would not cut him. Uh, Anthopolis would though. They're going to get He's, into a brawl in the locker room. Like Snicker would just be like Freeman is his new Bonifacio. See, this, this is why they got to bring Marcakis back so they can uh, Marcakis can tell him that he's going to kick Anthopoulos' ass. Like he said, said the same thing about John Hart. So. Yeah, but why would you want that? Because then we're stuck with Freeman. Yeah, that's fair. Well, it just depends on what you uh, what you ultimately want. I don't see Sam Freeman making it in the next year. A million and a half this is what he's projected for. I could, if he does wind up getting that, then okay. The well, problem is you got to clear a spot for Darren O'Day. And Sam Freeman is easily my first choice for, all right, you're gone. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of the, the top top shelf relievers have come off come off the board, aside from Kimbrell. But, you know, you still have guys like Cody Allen Justin, that are out Justin there. Justin Wilson, who I'm a big fan of. Yeah, and, you know, you could you could call San Francisco and see about Tony Watson. You could see Will about Smith. Will Smith. They're both, they're both available. Right. So, um I, yeah, I think that some of the kind of we'll call them fringe members of the 2018 bullpen um, may be pitching for somebody else next year. And the last one on the list, Charlie Culberson, projected at 1.4 million. I like having Charlie on the roster, but those of you thinking that what you got out of Charlie last year is what you'll get out of him in 2019, I do not think that's the case. I don't think any rational baseball fan would assume that Charlie's going to have that same type of year. No, he may, maybe he unlocked something. Maybe this is who he is from now on. Maybe he's he's Max Muncy, but but then again, just getting half of what what we got from him last year, I would be okay with with half of that. You know, he was admirable backup. Everything that he was asked to do, he did well. Um, and that's the thing. It, it yeah. was just it was such a one eighty of a season for him though, because Charlie was bad defensively last year. Before last season, he was a great defender with no, with really no offense. And then he comes in last year and, and does a complete 180 where all of a sudden he's a clutch hitter all throughout the season and dropping bombs on Washington all year, but his glove has a huge fall off. I don't know I don't know whether I'm okay with that or not. I mean, it's two different styles of it. Uh, I'm a big proponent of offense over defense at this point because with the rise in analytics, the ability to position pre-pitch is so much better now that you can actually kind of alleviate bad defense. You can't really alleviate bad offense. My favorite thing about Charlie is as soon as he hits hits a home run, just the immediate bat drop. Like it's right. it's not even like not even a toss. I mean, it's like he's not even done swinging and it's already gone. You know. That's true. I'm sorry. I'm just looking over at. Uh, I I think that Charlie's going to be a good person to have on the team. Um, I think it gives you a whole lot of areas. Like if if somebody's, I wonder if if you were to roll into the season today, do you think Duvall would be your starter in the outfield, or do you think Charlie would, or do you think that Charlie would split time? 
because Duvall has always been better against has Duvall's been better against righties than lefties, if I'm not mistaken. You know, he's got some some kind of bizarre splits. I know that his his away splits are better than his his home splits, which is the reverse of what you would think of from playing in Cincinnati. But as it pertains to lefties, righties, I feel like I feel like he's been better against lefties, and that's why they got him because Ender always struggled against lefties. Maybe I could be totally wrong there. Maybe, I be, yeah, I could yeah, be talking I, on my backside, uh, but I wouldn't be shocked to see at some point uh, if Camargo does take to the outfield and they are unable to really get an outfielder. Then I, I would not be shocked to see some Camargo and Culberson in the outfield as well. I think Culberson is going to give you a lot of ability to play around everywhere and give some guys sporadic days off because I really do think the path to success this year. And Alex was talking about it on the radio. The team's been calling about Camargo and he has no desire to move him. I, I think that if the Braves are going to be a good team this year and to be a, a to win this division, Camargo has to get not just three hundred at bats. Camargo needs four or five hundred at bats. And as as far as we're being told, that is the plan. You know, the he needs to essentially play every day, just at some other positions. Even even if it's just coming in and being a defensive replacement at the at the end of the game somewhere. You know what I mean? Get a, get him in at bat at least one at bat every day. You know, keep him keep him somewhat fresh. Uh, give him a couple starts a week. I think that as long as the the expectation is there, I mean, more than anything, these guys want to win, you know, and some of what you get is lip service when they say, I'll do anything to help the team. But a lot of, a lot of the time that's, that's very genuine. So as long as you're not Gabe Kaplering everybody, then because that's suddenly now a verb. It's, it's still gotta be hard to be young Camargo to put up the season that you did a year ago and the season that you put up the year before that to have these two seasons come off and you come into the season being replaced both times. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's it's all part of it. You know, you have there you have to be constantly performing. You you're a lot of the time you're not just going to retain a position on merit, uh, much unlike um, your favorite shortstop. I'll say you say that, but my the the guy that we're both thinking about, who I made a New Year's resolution not to dump on as much, seems to be what he's doing. It's all reputation. Well, I think this is two straight weeks that I have led you into. I have right. baited you. Into, You're doing this to me. You're trying to lead me down the road to ruin because you know it's going to get me angry and make me break my resolution. Look, man, we talk two hours a week. Okay, I have to utilize my time adequately. <laughs> just seems like a. It just seems like if if I if I were in Johan's position, I would be a little bit upset as well. I'm not going to fault him if he is upset. You know, there's there's no real reports that he's been mad at all. Uh, I would have. I would be very shocked if when Alex called to tell him that, hey, we got Donaldson, he's going to be our starting third baseman, you're going to be bumped to super utility. I would hazard a guess that there was some questions like, what more do I need to do? Because uh, if I were him, I would be looking around being like, hey, man, you were like, I wasn't supposed to do any of this. Why, why are you, uh, why am I the one that's being left out? Yeah, I mean he he certainly he earned it, you know. I and I was I was very vehemently against bringing in Donaldson at the end of last year just because of the the health concerns, and I figured that at the time, you know, there was really no no need to move Camargo. So and that's by the way, that's not me dumping on on the Donaldson move. You guys all know that I love the Donaldson move. Uh, if fully healthy, that is that is a potential dynamo. That is a potential jackpot move. Even if, by the way, I'm still not going to say that you don't see Donaldson playing second base maybe at some point this year. If his shoulder is not 
if his shoulder is real is kind of gone and his arm is kind of gone, I won't be shocked to see Camargo playing third base, Donaldson playing second, and Ozzy playing short. I really won't be surprised if I see that. You know, I'm trying to think of a time when when I've seen Donaldson play second base, and just because I haven't doesn't mean that it hasn't happened. But I mean, dude is super athletic. You know, if if the problem becomes <clears throat> his arm strength, then first would truthfully be the the best option for well, he's him. Not he's not replacing Freddie. Yeah, he's kind of kind of blocked there, and truthfully, he's kind of blocked at second. But having you know having Ozzy being able to play short, and then Camargo being able to play kind of all over. I mean, truthfully, you could probably put Ozzy at third if it really came to that. Ozzy would be the choice at shortstop, I believe. More range. He's. Uh, I, I think people would be shocked to see his defense at shortstop. It's not bad. The the question on Ozzy would be, he's got the weakest arm of the three. It's still good enough to play at short, but it is weaker. Although I haven't seen him and Dansby back to back on the throws, but Dansby has the higher grade on his arm. I know Dansby is more accurate with the arm than Ozzy. That would be the question mark. Ozzy is is just as fast as Dansby. Ozzy has a lot of range as well. I think Ozzy would be your choice for full time shortstop with Camargo playing second or third if that were to happen. But that's just useless speculation at that at, at this point. I think you'll know a month into the season if Dansby doesn't pick it up, and I do think you'll see something move to that whether it's Donaldson staying at third, Camargo slide in at second, and Ozzy at shortstop. But that's needless speculation at this point. We do have our first predictions, though. Vegas has come out with the over-unders, and they have the Braves at 84 wins. Now, you may think that that's low. That's the 10th highest, that's the 10th highest in all of baseball. So right on the, on the cusp of being in the top third. For a Vegas number, I don't feel like that's that bad. And the, this is also just based on present roster construction. You know, this this takes into account the fact that the Braves would be running Duvall out there, right? As, as you make or a, Charlie, you as, make a you make a move outfielder. for a starting outfielder, or you know, God forbid, bring in Bryce Harper. That's going to obviously jump up. I told you guys last week I have the Braves at eighty seven wins. If you are confident that the Braves are going to be better than that and that they're going to add somebody, go to mybookie.ag and place a line on that right now. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I think that, I mean, it's, you had asked me for projections last week and I kind of, you know, I was kind of a, kind of a jerk about it if I'm, if I'm being honest, but I mean, the, the truth is like, there, there's still, there's still so much more to do. Like, I, I don't, I would like to know the system that they, that they really, that they really have for this or why they felt like now was the time to drop it. But, you know, the good news is, uh, the Braves would finish, uh, four, four and a half games behind Washington which is not that's not great, but the good news is this puts them ahead of the Mets and the Phillies, uh, who both were had eighty three, I believe. So I mean, but still it tells be one you, of the wild card teams, by the way. Yeah, I mean, and this, this still it shows you like how how tight like we were just talking about how tightly clustered the top of the NL East is going to be, and I think that had the Marlins like sixty seven wins, which <laughs> I second I just, from the bottom sixty five and a half, only in yeah. front of Baltimore's fifty nine. Yeah, and that even that might might be generous as well. So, um, but you know, you start looking at other teams like the Red Sox. They won 108 last year, and it's got them dialed back into the mid 90s now. So, I mean, if if the Braves fans are mad that the that six wins came off of their win total last year when the division got clearly better, well, then I would love to know some of the obscenities that are flying out of Boston right now about this exact same topic because it or took like 15 Saint, wins off. St. Louis has jumped to 80, 88 and a half wins. Milwaukee dropped to 83 and a half wins. 
and and that also was before the uh, before the Grand All signing. Yeah, so you know? I would check that. I would imagine that the Grand All signing will give them at least a two or a three game boost. And the Braves are right here next next to the Twins. Okay, I, I, the Twins are projected for eighty four. Uh, Twins added C.J. Crone, Jonathan Scope, Nelson Cruz. I mean, they they can they can mash. But the most important thing to notice is the context here, because. White Sox haven't signed Manny. Maybe they do, maybe they don't, but they're projected for 74 wins, and that, that would put them in third place. They, they also would have the opportunity to beat up on Kansas City and Detroit, who are neither of them are very good teams whatsoever. So to the guy that was, that was just completely destroying these projections for saying there's no way the Twins win 84, remember, context generally matters. Not to mention that it's a still a Twins team that's two years removed from a playoff run just because they tanked it last year. There's still a lot of talent on that Twins roster. It, it's always it's always a crapshoot when you're talking about projecting win totals like this. For the most part, Vegas will put everybody at this point of the offseason relatively close together because it's the betters that are controlling this. That's why the Yankees are set up ahead of the Red Sox right now because there's more New York Yankee betters this early in the season. And you talk about if, if Boston brings back Craig Kimbrell, that'll jump them up higher. But as of this point... Boston hasn't added anybody. They've really just lost pieces. So, you know, you take that into account as Houston is, is the lead dog at 97 and a half wins. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. I expect that number to climb as soon as the Braves make a real move for the outfield. So we'll see how it goes. But if you want to play some money right now, now would be a good time to place because I don't think that the Braves are an under 500 team. No, I, I, I would be surprised. I've I've been wrong about this type of thing before. You know, the Astros in 2015 were a year ahead of schedule in their rebuild, uh, made it to, to the playoffs, and sound familiar? And uh, then in 2016, they missed the playoffs altogether. So I I don't think the Braves are going to miss the playoffs. But I, I think that um, I think you're going to be in more of a dogfight for the playoffs this year than you were a year ago. And I wonder if there's any type of hangover from the young guys. You know, I'm not from just the, talking from about first... it from the Braves. Oh, hangover, the Braves didn't make it. I think a lot of other teams are going to have significantly better years than they did a year ago. And any combination of those two? Because, I mean, between the, the Nats, the Phillies, and the Mets, uh, Braves are going to play those three teams total 57 times. I mean, that's a big old chunk of the schedule. And that's and that outside of the NL East last year, the Braves had a losing record. So, those three teams getting more robust, that is scary, you know? So it'll be hard fought, man. I'm I'm already looking forward to biting all my fingernails off next <laughs> September. And it, it is a good thing to see. Now, our last segment for the show, this one's just weird. Kyler Murray is now going to declare for the NFL draft. I, if you're a college football fan at all, you're aware of what Kyler Murray did this year, winning the Heisman for Oklahoma, uh, put up a lot of – Wow plays, running that offense is a perfect fit for Lincoln Riley's offense over there. But the, And I thought this was weird when Oakland took him ninth overall because I nothing I saw in Kyler Murray's baseball game made me think that, one, he was a first-round player, much much less a top-ten pick. But that, he got a big old signing bonus. I wonder if he goes into the draft, if he's going to have to pay some of that signing bonus back. Oh, yeah. he he's. I don't think it's 100%. But uh, I know that he's going to have to pay a majority of that back. Now, granted, if he goes, if he winds up, you know, staying in the draft and going high and signing a contract, then he he won't have any problems reimbursing some of that in the rare instance that he's been able to spend $4.7 million over the last, you know, seven months, like it's Brewster's millions or something. But, uh, 
I don't know, man. This whole thing is weird. Like, I, we're going to look back on this draft and say Carter Stewart and Kyler Murray were taken with consecutive picks, and neither of them wound up um, signing with their or following through with any commitment they had with with the teams. I just think it's it's so bizarre. And you you start looking at guys in this upcoming draft, like Maurice Hampton and Jerry and Ely, who are like super two sport guys, and looking at them going, "Are they going to?" Yeah. wind up doing the same can you, thing. Can you trust them? I mean, Jordan right. Adams. Jordan Adams was a big-time football recruit for Notre Dame. Yeah, that's right. Big-time right. wide receiver recruit. Now, he's a much bigger fan of baseball, so that's why he went with baseball. But he's a better football player at this point than he is a baseball player. He just likes baseball better. And, you know, I certainly understand, like, for, from Kyler Murray, the, the biggest difference with, with Murray and guys like Adams and... and uh, he's a quarterback. Well, that and he was already in college. Like Adams was a was a recruit from North Carolina, and his dad was like he was a coach there. But he got drafted by the Angels and wound up going in with them. Like Murray is already like he's knocking on the door of the NFL. I mean, he could he's going to play pro next year, as opposed to when he gets done at Oklahoma and going having to toil in the the A's farm system, riding buses, staying in Roach motels, and he. 370 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches a year. I mean, maybe because if he, if he leverages some of that bonus, if he's still got a lot of that money left over, then he can get his own bus and he can get like a gourmet PB&J or something. But uh, I don't know. The, the actual likelihood of him making pro baseball is way less. But the payoff and not to mention the amount of pain you will save yourself physically as opposed to going into football, or, you know, like it's a little to, bit hard to explain because as a quarterback, it's a totally different, it's a totally different question of, of football of being a quarterback versus any other position. So the allure is I get to be a quarterback in the NFL. And when he goes to the, the NFL combine, he's going to wow people with what he does during the drills. He's going to run probably a four, three, five, 40. Uh, he's probably going to jump out of the building, uh, he's got decent arm strength, pretty strong arm, as you can see since he's a center fielder in baseball. Uh, his short shuttle will be really, really good. But he's going to measure like 5'9". Like, I don't know why a football team would take him in the first round. That is a tiny, tiny quarterback. But if he were to be a first-round pick of a quarterback, and for those of you that are, you know, that are kind of following the draft for the NFL but don't know a whole lot about it, Generally speaking, if you're going to reach on a player, it's a good idea to reach on a quarterback and take one in the first round, even if he's not a first-round talent, because it gives you a fifth-year option, which is why you'll see more quarterbacks go in the first round than any other any other real draft targets. It'll be quarterbacks that get reached for because you get an extra year. That's why the Ravens traded up uh, to get back into the first round to select Lamar Jackson this year uh, at the 32nd pick instead of just picking him couple picks later in the second round because you get an extra year of control. And as a quarterback in the first round pick, if he if he's any any bit successful at all, then the money would be pretty comparable. He'll get a lot of money as a quarterback if he's any good. Especially because if you talk about baseball, it's going to be 4 or 5 years before he makes any real money. To, you know, saying that he actually makes it to the show, which you maybe you're more familiar with his tape than I am, but looking at looking at his baseball tape, I'm not even all that convinced that he's an actual major league player. I think he's I mean, Billy he, Hamilton. Yeah, I mean he's he's toolsy, you know, but but gambling on yeah, I just God, I remember when when his name got announced. I mean I, I had seen 
seen some video of him. And I, I hadn't even paid close enough attention to him because I didn't think like I texted I mean, what you the, as soon as it happened. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I mean, I was like, I I just started cackling. Like, I, this is the weirdest draft pick that I, I could possibly think of at this moment. You know what I mean? I, I just I couldn't couldn't believe that they would take that risk. Like you, I mean, th- and they knew they knew that he was going to go and play. I mean, he basically doused the A's in gasoline and lit a match and was like, I can throw this whenever I want. They're just like, cool, you know? And then he went to school, and now he's like, he's about to drop the match. Just well, like... Here, Boris has to be like, no, 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 trust me. He's he's not going to play football. He's only going to play baseball. And, well, I think I'm going to play football. And now, so is so Oakland will get their money back, okay? But but they essentially lose that pick. Right. They they're, they signed him, so it's not like they're going to wind up getting – I don't think they're going to get any type of compensation from MLB because Murray decided that he wants to play in the NFL now. I mean, what a weird situation. That's I mean, a bonehead pick from, from an organization that prides themselves on being value. Yeah, and they, they went over slot to get That's him. That's the they, thing. Like – they went over slot to get a guy that I don't think anybody had him anywhere near the ninth pick. You know what? I'm I'm gonna look up last year's um, last year's composite and see where where Kyler Murray ranked because I I want to say that he was like in the 40s, which would have what's slot value for in the 40s like one and a half. That'd be Joey Wentz, so Maybe that would two. be close to one and a half. Because I think Joey got an over slot at like two million, so I would say one point four to one point six would probably be slot value for picking the forties. Right. So when you're looking at all of these different, I mean, there were fifteen, twenty different different lists on here, and and lists are just kind of suggestions, right? I'm not saying that that this is like the gospel or anything, but it's a big enough sample size to where you can look at it and say this is where somebody's projected. 65. He was 65th. That's a second-round pick. He wasn't projected to even go in the comp rounds. Yeah, I mean, that's that's like back-of-the-second-round type stuff, and I've just – I don't know. I didn't understand the move when Oakland made it. If I'm Kyler Murray, then, you know (sighs) – I don't believe in him as a quarterback for the NFL. He's just way too small, way too light. He's going to get hurt if he does anything else and he can't see over his line. But, you know, if I'm him, I think he's got a better shot to succeed in the NFL than he does in baseball because I really do think he's just a Billy Hamilton. And I don't even know that if he can hit at a Billy Hamilton level. But what, what, he, does, what he does now, if he, you know, Russ Wilson still is coming to spring training with the Yankees. You know, Tim Tebow has made it to double A. Having these guys, yeah, Michael Jordan played in Double A. You you've got these guys who John Elway was drafted the seventh was second round, I believe. And you got Dave Winfield who wound up getting drafted in like four different sports. I swear they drafted him in hockey and they never (laughs) even played it before. But like you, if that's going to be your legacy, you know everybody remembers Bo Jackson because he was the most freakish athlete they'd ever seen. They remember Bo, but like. The difference between Bo and all these other guys, Bo and Dion were good at both sports. Like, right. And you can and say same, all the others. Like you cannot put any of these guys in the same sentence as Bo or Dion. Because and Brian Jordan. Let's say Brian Jordan. Brian Jordan was probably a better baseball player than football player. Yeah. But and the thing with these guys, their legacy is that they were talented at both. But even to have the the physical ability to make both, like, even if you suck, you still made it. Tim Tebow sucks at baseball, and there's a legit possibility that he's going to wind up playing pro. Well, even see, if it's a, now, a you say you say that like it's a cool thing. 
the baseball player in me, that pisses me off more than anything I've ever seen because that's that's an or, that's a slot from somebody else who really deserved that slot. And Lord knows it's hard enough to get noticed enough to go into a minor league system because it the dirty little secret is there are talented enough players who fall through the cracks because they didn't get seen at the right time because there are so many people that play baseball and it's 1% of all the people that play baseball ever make it to the minor leagues. To have to have some guy just with a publicity stunt because he sucked at football, decided he was too bored with his job of talking on TV, decided, oh, I'm going to be a baseball player now, and he gets a spot because of his name, that genuinely pisses me off. Well, I would like to apologize for bringing up Tim Tebow then. That's the last time I'm going to do that. It's not just Tebow. Uh, I mean, it pissed me off when Jordan did it. No, I mean, you're right. You're absolutely right. But but he's he has made it as far as double A. You know, and he I don't never think deserved it, it. If it was a straight up publicity stunt, they would have done it in spring training. I mean, sh- shit, man. Will Ferrell played shortstop for the for the A's in a he played all uh, nine positions. Game. What's that? He played all nine positions. Oh yeah, for nine different teams. I, all I remember for I remember Marcus Simeon came in uh, for Will Ferrell, and somebody likened it to uh, Lou Gehrig replacing Wally Pipp. Like that, you might be overstating this just a tad. Um, All I'm going to say on Mark Simeon is not Lou Gehrig. It's it's but. 100% publicity because the Mets, as we've said before, the Wilpons just want to be on somebody's – they just don't want to be on page eight. They just want people talking about them. Yeah, I mean they're like the uh, they're like the Jersey Shore yeah. of uh, please of, notice me of major, major league teams. Yeah, so I don't know what that makes the Yankees. Probably probably the Sopranos, but probably. Uh, yeah. So, but. But as it pertains to Murray, like if his legacy, even even if he sucks at football and sucks at baseball, but can still find a way to make it pro, that is a very very elite club that he is joining. It and, is, and his, everybody will remember him forever because if he's really going to divide his time between both sports, I don't think he'll be really good at either. Because that is a big thing to have to divide yourself between baseball and football. It's two totally different mentalities, two totally different styles of practicing. And in football, you're like one second away from a serious injury every time you play. Especially a quarterback. Right, especially as like a 170-pound quarterback. Mm-hmm. So nothing is written in stone, right? He can declare for the draft, but he, but he can still – not signed. You know, this right? is almost like Jameis Winston. When Jameis Winston was at Florida State, Jameis was actually a pretty big baseball recruit. But when Jameis went number one overall in the NFL draft, the Bucks wouldn't sign him until he said flat out, I'm not going to go to spring training. Like, I'm done with baseball. Jameis was actually a pretty decent, was actually a really good baseball player. I, rem- I do remember hearing about that, actually. I kind of remember that saga. I, I don't know. I... At this point, I'm almost leaning more towards Kyler as an NFL player because while I don't think he'll be a good quarterback, he's athletic. He's more than athletic enough to shift positions, and you know he can catch because he's a, a good defender. Uh, and I think he'd be more successful in the NFL than he would be in Major League Baseball. Uh, so I do think he'd make more money as an NFL player. It's it's a hard thing to to miss. I think he'll try for a little bit because the A's aren't going to want to just get nothing on their investment. So they'll let him try it for a little bit. But it's going to be interesting to see come April when the NFL draft comes around because if Kyler is taken, if Kyler's taken in the first round, he's playing in he's playing in the NFL. Yeah, and I, let this be a lesson because I know we have so many GMs that are listening right now. Let this be a lesson: don't draft football players with top ten picks. 
especially ones that are, you know, like 65 as far as talent pool goes, don't draft them in the top 10. Right. You know, they're and then that sign just, them over slot. Like, do you just, have any idea how under slot he should have been signed? You just took a dude 50 picks higher than anybody else would have taken him. And I, if he hadn't gone there, I wonder how far he would have fallen. Like, realistically, like, I, like, yeah, that should have been under slot and wasn't. And then that, now like they're just $500,000 under slot. Like, you should have paid him like $500,000. Yeah, I mean, like like we said, the, his his slot value was was probably say around one point one million dollars, something like that. The man, I just I just don't know about all that. So that's a uh, horrible move by that organization. You don't see that happen a whole lot for Oakland, uh, but it it is some good drama to keep uh, to keep watching unfold as you get closer to the major league draft and the NFL draft. So. Hopefully, we're going to go ahead and end the show for this week. So hopefully, by the time we get back in next week, now that we know for real what's happened with the Carter Stewart situation, we know that we have the number nine pick and the number 21 pick. Maybe we start to see the Braves move a little bit quicker in this offseason and try to catch up now that you see the rest of the NL East really starting to make moves. It's been... It's been a little bit of a drama-filled offseason. Hopefully, we'll see some movement as we get to it. Uh, as always, we see anything, we hear anything, follow us on uh, on Twitter at TPS underscore podcast. Follow our, fa- our Facebook page, Facebook slash The Platinum Sombrero. Um, give us a like there as well. Follow us on iTunes and leave us a little review. Any questions, y'all always hit us up. We love talking to the listeners. Everybody out there, thank you guys so much. We'll catch you next week on The Platinum Sombrero. <laughs> Thanks, bye.